This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. On the latest episode of BCC, The Other Side... We review the 2006 movie Sasquatch meets rear window thriller Abominable. Jesus Christ, I destroyed <laughs> that. That's what happens when you, you have it. You got it, though? All right, let's try that again. No, keep this in. Michael, go ahead. Hit me up. Okay. Get me. Hit me. On the latest episode of BCC, The Other Side. We review the 2006 Sasquatch meets rear window thriller Abominable. Sound weird? Yeah, it is. To subscribe to the other side, go to patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club. Nailed it! It's Bigfoot. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club. It's the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I am your host, Michael McMillan. With me is your other host, Bryce Johnson. And our super producer, Riley Bray. Woo! Woo! We'll give ourselves a round of applause. All right, all right. I usually do that for the guests, but I'm going to do it for us this time. Why not? Why not? It's Wet Hot Alien Summer 2, Summer Abduction, all summer long here on BCC, and we're celebrating with stories of high strangeness of the UFO variety. But before we get into that, I want to ask these boys, uh, you both were out of town this week doing Mm. a little summer Mm -hmm. vacationing Mm -hmm. and playing of your own. Yes. Mm -hmm. I went up to Shaver Lake doing a little scouting for the jet ski special. Damn. Yes. The water temperature is perfect. The lake is primed (laughs) for jet skiing. What? How about how's that shrinkage going to be for uh, Bryce? Are we talking body temperature? Perfect. No minimal shrinkage. We're talking bath. Not even worried about it, buddy. Not even (laughs) worried. So should we cancel the fluffer or keep the fluffer? Oh no no no! Keep the fluffer on. I do my own fluffing. I do my own fluffing. When I was on stage doing "Take Me Out," the uh, the play about ball players, and I had to appear nude along with the other castmates. Right before I'd walk on stage, I'd just give a little. A little jiggle, jiggle, side to side, get the blood flowing, and so I'm good. I know what to do. That's Meisner, right? The jiggle, that's Meisner. Jiggle, that's the Meisner side. dick Actually, wiggle. I think that's yeah. the Uda Hagen dick wiggle. I think that's oh, the Uda right. Hagen. Of course. Yeah. I of course. get, I get that confused yeah, sometimes. It's, yep. it's an easy yeah. mistake. Yeah. 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 Um, that's like the nude performers equivalent of doing. Well, I guess it's, it applies in both cases. Doing push-ups. You know, before you know, <laughs> that's right. Like, that's exactly right. Such an actor move. Uh, you'll see it a lot. I'm not one of them because honestly, I, I'm what am I going to show off anyway? But like, just g- 
guys who drop and just start pumping uh, push-ups right before their close-up or right before their big action scene. Yeah, yeah. You've been, you've been that guy, haven't you? Admit it. Yeah, I got to get that pump going, man. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. That would just yeah. make me a little sweaty. Fuck from yeah. Because all that would yeah. accomplish. Yeah. If you want if you want to call action and see me like wincing because my elbow was hyperextended. Yeah, no, I'm that guy. I'm, that's me. We need so, that guy. That's good. So that's yeah. how we, we all balance each other out. Yep, yeah, yep, it's yeah, true. Exactly. Uh, Bryce, you guys went on a vacation this past week. Where did you go? Did you go someplace Yeah, cool? I took the family up the coast coast of california on the scenic uh one route and god it was just fucking beautiful went up to cambria and then up to big sur uh through the 17 mile drive where pebble beach is monterey santa cruz did the boardwalk and the games and the rides there ended it in san francisco going to alcatraz me and my made my son watch escape from alcatraz with clint eastwood he really (laughs) got into it and uh Awesome. Man, when we were there, it paid off. He's like, I cannot believe this is the same cell that Frank Morris escaped from. And man, it's so <laughs> different than the movie. And I was like, so, I know, so I know. Proud. Yeah, wow, I was so proud, proud man. <laughs> we had a fucking blast. And you know what? It's like, so for those who don't live in California or Los Angeles, for that matter, LA has been feeling really just sticky and not so great as of mm-hmm. late just a lot of problems uh plaguing los angeles and so you start to lose a little bit of love but just getting on that road and seeing the beauty of california just reminded me god why i moved here in the first place what a yeah. great state uh in the union and just yeah. uh pr- proud too. again to be an angelino you know right on that drive is one of the best drives in the u.s it's, it's incredible i could so not good. believe the beauty yeah. And then I was like, get off your fucking iPad. Look at the ocean. <laughs> look, Just look at it. You missed the sea line. There was a sea line. I saw it, but you missed it because your head was buried in an iPad. They're looking I'm fine. at no, I'm fine, Don. I'm fine. Don, I'm fine. I'm they're fine. Looking at, they're looking at pictures of sea lines on the yeah, iPad. Like animated <laughs> sea lions. Yeah, like you can't get that mad rendered. at them. <laughs> you know, you hit some paranormal hotspots, Big Sur, which we've done over on the other side. Yeah, lots of ghost yeah. stories and weird happenings in Big Sur, including yep. little shadow people that might push you off the edge of a cliff as you're hiking Man. around. Fuck little that. trickster spirits, and then up near Monterey, you have the giant watchers on right. the mountains up there. Uh, people see these giants wearing these like tall, kind of like pilgrim hats l- looking out into the ocean around sunset. So trippy. Um, and then Alcatraz ghosts, lots of ghosts in Alcatraz. Yeah, man, I loved it. I just was like, hey, bring it on, man. I've never been to Alcatraz. I lived up there for I so long. Either. I never actually went out there. It's, was it, it's, was it worth it's a trip? Tri- yeah, 100%. It, it's a trip. You just like realize how much money they put into building this prison to hold just over 200 of the worst prisoners. It's like, you know, <laughs> ferrying personnel back and for, uh, forth, room and board. They had a staff just like – and it's really – it's it's just quaint. It, quaint's not the right word. It's <laughs> small. It's just Quite fucking cruises. small, Cozy. you know, and it's Cozy. like, man – you, and then when you realize the, how those three escaped, the Frank Morris and the Anglin brothers, you realize what an accomplishment that was, right. knowing that those guards were walking back uh, on Broadway. They called it Broadway, where the, the, the line between the cells and just, you know, watching the prisoners. They, it just must have taken so much fucking patience. I could have never pulled that off. I'd have been like, 
I would have gave up a long time ago. Yeah, it should be like if you can get out of Alcatraz, you're a free man because like if you can beat the system, then you win. You know? What oh, I mean? totally. But the exact true is opposite. They were on Interpol's list of most wanted for the remainder of their lives. Uh, it's still an open case. Isn't that uh, basically it, the premise of the Running Man? Yeah, <laughs> which is another great movie. I showed that my son. Yeah, 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 that's right. exactly right. The Running Man starring yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. They would take felons, society. put them into yeah. a game show. And if they could escape, they would earn their freedom. Although that was a lie, as you learned, as right. Schwarzenegger's running through the mazes, they found last year's winner and his skeletal remains. Uh, <laughs> wow, so, you really yeah. know Running Man. That nice. That was good. <laughs> Bryce puts it on every night as he's going to sleep. <laughs> Just does push-ups and nods off. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, well, that's cool. Uh I stayed here this week, but you know what? It was fine. I was working on today's <laughs> deep dive all week. Yes. Uh, nice. Uh, no guests this week. We're doing a deep dive. Um, I hope. I think. I think this one is gonna stay on the rails. I'm. Mm. I'm. I'm pouring just a tiny bit amount of rose juice. So, uh, and I, I don't think this is going to turn into a three hour extravaganza where I look over and realize I've been talking about alien grace for three hours. There's an empty <laughs> bottle of wine and now I'm just rambling about Bill Clinton. It could end up there. It could, it look, could still that's the risk we take, you know? but I'm just right, saying without risk. I'm a, I'm worried we're going to give, uh, Riley a heart attack every time we do one of these, but I think we're going to, this one's going to be like a tighter, yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be tight. a tighter. We're going to keep it tight. Deep dive. Um, tight two-parter. Yeah. Uh, but before we dive into that, we have a little clubhouse biz, uh, huge thanks to everyone who's been writing in with five-star reviews on Apple podcasts. Mm -hmm. We're trying to reach one thousand five-star reviews on apple Podcasts, which greatly increases our visibility on the platform which means more people like you can find the show and become a club scout if we reach one thousand five-star reviews we're going to record the aforementioned bcc jet ski special at shaver mm -hmm. lake we've already got one guest star on board jen kirkman who else knows who will show up um bryce why don't we read one of those reviews right now Sure. This is from Glee Lee, who says, better than a balloon. Five stars. Boom. Boom. <laughs> That's so how you leave a review, folks. From Jen, and a lot of you guys gave us better than a balloon uh, reviews. We appreciate that. We're at 736 five-star reviews. So we need to get, guys, It's we're, we're coming into the dog days of summer here. Let's amp this up. We know there are a lot of you listening. Do us a favor. Give us five stars. Let's get this jet, jet ski special in the big, okay? I really, Let's... really want to make the jet ski special, you guys. It's been so much buildup. And just yeah. being there this last weekend, like, we, like, please. We're going to do it, Riley. Listening, people, make make it happen. Give We're going to do it. I believe. Day. Believe. They you are... have to believe in the jet ski. <clears throat> Um, you can also support the show by becoming a monthly patron over at BCC, the other side, patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club, where a $5 monthly pledge gets you three to five bonus episodes every month, plus access to our entire back catalog of over 150 bonus wow. episodes. Wow. That is almost twice the amount that, of BCC waiting for yeah. you on the other side. Mm -hmm. That's an Elvis Presley B-side is what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We should just call it the Elvis B-side. 
Um, <laughs> and friendly, friendly reminder that if we do make that BCC jet ski special and we reach 1,000 patrons, still have a ways to go, guys. Bryce will ride one of those jet skis naked and we'll film it and we'll put it up on the Patreon. Prostituting myself for the show. Let's do it. It's 2021. Sex work is positive and everybody has an OnlyFans. Oh my God. Get with the times, Bryce. Um, All right. Let's get into the meat of this episode. Riley, you better get that button ready because both Bryce and I have some. Guys, you're not going to believe who sent me this one. That's right. The wifey came through in one of her most popular feeds that she likes to peruse. Perez Hilton reports, new Bigfoot video goes viral. What do you think it is? Yeah, I could not believe it. Uh, Perez Hilton reports, so is this Bigfoot or a guy dressed up in a Bigfoot suit or what? A Michigan kayaker claims to have captured a four-second video of Sasquatch crossing the Cass River, a 61-mile-long river that runs from just south of Saginaw to the eastern part of the state. And while Bigfoot researchers and enthusiasts are hotly debating the video, it's not clear what exactly we're watching when we see it, so we need your help deciding what you think it is, of course. A man named Eddie V. shared a picture and video with the Rocky Mountain Sasquatch Organization, and the group promptly posted the clip on YouTube last week explaining the situation. Eddie told the organization, My cousin was kayaking on the Cass River here in Michigan when he took this picture. Not sure what it is, but I have sent it to a few people to see what they say. Some say it's Bigfoot carrying a baby Bigfoot. Others say it's Bigfoot carrying a deer. Hmm. So as you can see, whatever the thing is, definitely appears to be wading across the water at just below waist height. And it does appear as though the unidentified creature is carrying something. Check it out. We will post that link in our show notes. Did you guys watch this fucking video? I did. I checked it yeah, out, Riley. Started, right? Did you get a yeah, chance? The one you texted, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What'd you think? Riley, I mean, you go first. Looks like a Bigfoot holding something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right, I want, right. If it's not a Bigfoot, then I want to think it's just a guy on mushrooms in a Bigfoot suit just having the time of his life. Totally. You know? It could be that, right? There's no excluding that it could be, you know, a hoax video. Some guy just dressing up in a Bigfoot suit and holding a stuffed animal or something. But, man, I don't know. Michael, what would you think? Yeah, I mean, I understand why people are looking at this as a Bigfoot video. You know, mm-hmm. I get it. Uh, it's tough. You know, the problem is, once again, it's really hard to, to to tell what we're looking at. Even in the video, they kind of break it down and slow it down. They're going a little yeah. too fast. Like, yep. I want I need someone to get in there, Patterson Gimlin style and really zoom in, really pump, pump up the resolution on this to take a look. I mean, to me, in the frame, the first frame, the photo, I can see the shape of. Okay, so here's a couple things that I think I see in the video if we're looking at Bigfoot. I think I see a conical head. Mm. I think I see maybe even a pendulous breast. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I definitely see in the photo and par- angles of the video what looks to be like a juvenile, like the way that a mom would carry a baby tucked up on one arm, one arm with yeah. the baby's like head under her chin or on her shoulder. I yeah. don't see a deer. I don't see anything that indicates a deer. Um, the things that bump me is it doesn't look it looks all brown. And it looks covered in whatever it's covered in from head to toe, but it doesn't necessarily look furry. It doesn't look right. hairy. And you would feel like if it was getting wet, that some of that like that like light would be reflecting off the wet fur, maybe. Or mm. I, I don't know. You would see you would see a little bit more of the like coat okay. of that thing getting getting drenched. But maybe here's maybe what I'm wrong. here's what caught my attention in the video. Yeah. First thing, yeah, I I totally agree with you. I see like a conical head and a and a sunken in face. At first, I do see what looks like, uh, you know, maybe a baby Bigfoot that she's holding. But in an in a in a few seconds later, I paused it and I zoomed in, and it looks like it's carrying this dead deer with this head sh- uh, sunken over. Okay. Like I saw like the deer head, and I was just like, if it's a dead deer. That's like I think that's incredible because how many reports have we heard or that we've read of like these Bigfoot creatures like fucking infrasound zapping a deer and then just grabbing it and running off. Right. (laughs) Second thing I noticed is this thing makes pretty good movement through the water. It's not having a hard time. It's not like watching where it's going. It just fucking tracks through. No problem. And that water is waist high. Third thing I noticed was, did you hear the people talking that were taking the video? They were just having normal conversation as the video is being taken, almost as if like this happened like, oh, wait, you know, and you move over the video. They're still on their regular conversation. In other words, it doesn't appear to be staged whatsoever. And if it was, then man, fucking five star to them, because that's how you convince me. Yeah, they're not. They're not acting along with the scenario. They're not acting word. along it, with the scenario. It, no, it, you can almost see the camera like, oh, fuck. Well, what and it that? even, you know, it, it even sounds like, you know, and I feel like sometimes these do also point to more credible cases where later looking back, the guy's like, huh, wait a minute. I thought maybe this was just a guy in the water. But now as I'm playing this back and looking at it, I'm realizing how yeah. strange this thing is. Yeah. But, I, you know, I don't know, because they're also like. <laughs> Where the elbow looks like it's folded, it almost looks like fabric is folded, like a suit, like a jacket. Not yeah, like a I suit mean... jacket, but like a jacket or a full body like suit. And maybe the conical head and the sunken face is like a hunter's hood pulled up over its face. You know, like a hunter has a hood all the way up, you know. Yeah, over I don't know. I, I, I texted you guys a couple of those zoom ins that I took. But man, I could just really... And that first one, you just really see the deer's head hanging over. It's just like, oh my, I don't know, man. This is this is pretty good. I like this tape a lot. Great. It is weird. Yeah, I'm watching it more now. It's hard to, it's hard to say what it is or isn't. Yeah, right. If you scroll back on our text group, you'll see that first image that I sent you guys. If you zoom in on that, you can almost see what it looks to me like that deer's head hanging over. Yeah, uh, what I thought was a kid's, a baby Bigfoot, like, leg. uh, Yeah, yeah, I I see the conical head. It could be a fox, actually. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's It might be more of a fox or a coyote, actually. Yeah, because if you totally. look at that first picture, I know, guys, this has got this is great podcasting. I'm going to put <laughs> really this, good radio. Yeah, I'm going to put this <laughs> on the show notes and on the yeah. Instagram, so you'll be able to like look at this stuff. Um, well, 
I but, love uh, it. Anyway. It's a daytime Bigfoot video sighting, and yeah. those come in pretty rarely. So when they do, I'm all over it. Yep. Unfortunately, inconclusive. Give us something. As, as everything is. Yeah. We can really work with please. Okay, guys, I have a story for you that I found uh, today. Uh, from It's on space.com. And this headline reads, I think you're both going to really dig this. Alien abduction stories may come from lucid dreaming study. Oh, wow. This is by Mindy Weisberger over at uh, space.com. People have described bizarre extraterrestrial encounters that take place in a dreamlike state. The article reads, lucid dreaming in which people are partially aware and can control their dreams during sleep could explain so-called alien abduction stories, a study suggests. Claims of such abductions date back to the 19th century. The circumstances of kidnappings often sound dreamlike and trigger feelings of terror and paralysis. Certain dream states are also known to produce such feelings, leading Russian researchers to wonder if dream experiments could provide clues about alleged extraterrestrial experiences. The mm. scientists prompt lucid dreamers to dream about encounters with aliens or unidentified flying objects and found that a number of sleepers reported dreams that resembled actual descriptions of alleged alien abductions. During lucid dreams, sleepers are aware that they are dreaming and can use that awareness to manipulate what happens in the dream. Now we know all of this stuff. Recently, researchers with the Phase Research Center, PRC, a private facility in Moscow that researches lucid dreaming, conducted experiments with 152 adults who self-identified as lucid dreamers, instructing them to find or summon aliens or UFOs during a lucid oh, dream. The wow. scientists reported July awesome. 2nd in the International Journal of Dream Research. The researchers found that 114 of the participants reported dreaming about having some type of successful interaction with an extraterrestrial. Of those, about 61% described meeting aliens that resembled extraterrestrials from science fiction novels and films, while 19% met aliens that looked like ordinary people, according to the study. All right, I'm going to keep going here because this gets kind of interesting. One female participant spoke of I seeing... I would have bowed out right there. That no, would have been my cue. <laughs> no, not yet, because here we go. One <laughs> female participant spoke of seeing little men with blue skin oversized heads, and huge bulging eyes, the study mm. authors reported. When the aliens invited her onto their spaceship, uh, she says, I was blinded by a very bright light, like from a searchlight. My vision was gone, and I felt dizzy and light. Another participant said that he dreamed he was lying in his bed when he felt as though he were being dragged somewhere, ending up in a room with a white silhouette and re that reached into his chest and started doing something inside of him with tools. Weird. Um, so these these encounters go on, and the speculation goes on. But I, I mean, I think this is kind of cool because the thing that's really been coming up this summer, um, especially with the Del Coronado stuff, is how dreamlike these alien abduction experiences are. And I'm mm. not saying that the alien abduction isn't is just a dream. I'm saying that maybe this is evidence that the gateway to through to these extraterrestrial yeah. um, entities is through that dreamlike consciousness. You know what I mean? That maybe that altered state is what allows us and them to slip in and out of our reality. Maybe. Wow. Mm. And I'm looking at the article and I went all the way to the end like I never do. But here, Michael Raduga, the head of the PRC research, uh, who's the founder, said, for these unknowing dreamers, 
abductions are real. Verdugo told Live Science in an email, they just don't know how to explain it. Yeah, it does seem, it's so strange, right? Um, but as you'll hear more from our story tonight, it, where does the dreamlike scenario of abduction start to take place? And where does it uh, become a very physical, real thing in our 3D well, world with other people seeing it and all that yeah. shit? Well, right, right, of course, yes. Um, because this isn't shared to just the dreamer or the experiencer. Uh, but it is also the thing that I love about this is this also feels like an occult ritual. It's a practice. Right. It's like I'm intentionally going to summon an extraterrestrial tonight and see what right. happens. Right, you totally. Know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a trip, dude. Man, you know, on my trip, I actually, you know, I became lucid which I hadn't in a very long, long time. I was having sort of a bad dream. I'll tell it. I was dreaming that um, uh, I was doing some movie that involved Bigfoot. And then Bobcat Goldthwait (laughs) was coming up. He wanted to do a Bigfoot thing with me, but then he was sort of disheartened by it that I already was doing Bigfoot. It was just like too much fucking Bigfoot. And anyway, I was like getting really bad vibes. I felt terrible. And I something it was started to get so strange. I immediately became lucid, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm having a dream!" I couldn't believe it. And I was like, "My first thought was, I want to get out of here," which is crazy. And you know what I did? I created a portal with my finger, and I jumped through it, and I fucking woke up. And I, as soon as I woke up, I was like, "Oh, wow. Bryce, what are you doing? Like, oh, you should have explored the space." But I fucking panicked, man, and, and bowed out. Strange. Too much Bigfoot. Too much fucking Bigfoot for old Bryce Johnson. Which Dude, is you should have. You should have. You know, what you should have done was drawn a portal with your finger and then summoned Bigfoot out of the portal. Oh, yeah, no, I fucked up. Talk I fucked to up Bigfoot. Bad, man. You know oh what, Bryce? God. You should. We should. Um, in all seriousness, this sounds like a joke, but I mean it. You should try to summon, as you're filming this season, as a little secret project, as you're filming season three. Yeah. Of Expedition yep. Bigfoot. You should do a little private, private between us and the Club Scouts, a private experiment where you try to summon Bigfoot in your dreams. Oh, dude, that's fucking sick. Try to contact Bigfoot and ask for help in contacting or ask him what his deal is or, you know. Oh, my God. Engage with Bigfoot in a lucid dream and see what information comes out of it. I'm definitely I'm fucking doing that 100%. Well, I told you guys and our patrons last year I I fucked with some sigil magic before I went out on my nighttime investigation with the in the car where we rigged it with all those cameras and saw that whatever the fuck it was crossing the road. Yeah. But uh you know, yeah, I think you're onto something, man. There it does seem this summoning thing and like bringing it into fruition and manifesting these odd experiences. There's something to it, man. Do it, dude. I like it. Nice. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's time for the part one of our latest deep dive into high strangeness. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you having a, having a stroke there? Yeah. <laughs> Anytime I try to do Macho Man, I start coughing. <laughs> Okay, let's kick off this deep dive the way we always do, by asking, Riley, 
what do you why it sounded really angry with you riley <laughs> i'm like oh god what did i do oh no explain yourself riley <laughs> i'm in trouble man <laughs> riley uh riley what do you know about the travis walton abduction case that's this is what fire in the sky is based on yes mm-hmm. that's right okay i've seen fire in the sky it scared the shit out of me uh and then i saw it again and it it scared me again um, <laughs> good good so it'll it holds up um he was working on a lumber crew i want to say right yeah please i'm just mm-hmm. embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. no yeah, yeah. no you're remembering on. the yeah. plot uh and um and like he was maybe kind of a little rough around the edges or whatever so people were inclined to back him up or not back him up but they were abducted and found himself in some sort of sack um fluid filled sack and uh had horrendous frightening machines perform operations on him and then ended up naked i want to say at a payphone <laughs> i feel like there's a good scene yeah, there yep yep good uh and uh and then yeah he couldn't uh couldn't quite rally everyone behind him with his story that's, right it's pretty good that's what i know that's good i want I... that's really good yeah, I, I wanted to do that. Right. The Harry Carey voice. Found him in some kind of sack. <laughs> <laughs> some fluid filled sack. I think that, like, that's what most people know is that. Yeah. And we're going to get into it. We're going to get into. I mean, I'll just say right off the bat, you know, <clears throat> if you've seen Fire in the Sky, the movie differs greatly from what Travis Walton says went down in his book, mm. The Walton Experience, which the movie adapted into film. Now, what happened inside the ship with the eye-piercing needle and the little greys attacking and the goop in the sack, um, all that, <laughs> that's not really in <clears throat> Walton's account. He has been very public about how the movie changes his story, and to his credit, he gets that's just Hollywood being Hollywood. Sure. So I'm just saying this because if you think you know what happened because of the movie, uh, like me and soon to be Riley, you might be surprised to learn what really went down in that craft. Right. So let's kick off. Let's do this. Let's 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 deep dive in as as they say, shall we, Bryce? Oh, we shall. This is considered by ufologists to be one of the most credible cases of alien abductions ever told. The Travis Walton incident did for alien abductions what Roswell did for crashed UFOs. The story of seven loggers who witnessed a UFO and the individual in their group who went missing for five straight days following the event is one of the best documented close encounter stories of the past 50 years, if not all time multiple witnesses and a plethora of testifiable evidence it stands as a true testament that the abduction phenomena is more than just some type of hallucinogenic trauma or PTSD dream scenario but it hints at the very distinct possibility that little green men or blue men are taking us aboard their spacecraft and don't forget the grays that's right Blue and How- green make gray. That's <laughs> like the old Ziploc cat. Uh, <laughs> boy, that's a real dated reference. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's like mid 80s. Uh, However, the case hasn't avoided controversy. In the years following the incident, a campaign to debunk the entire event as a hoax, mostly led by a man named Philip J. Class, 
possibly working in secret with the NSA, plagued Travis Walton and the six other men who allegedly witnessed his abduction. Now, over the next two episodes, we're going to take a close look at the case, its players, and the aftermath, and learn about the true story behind the abduction event that became widely known as the basis for the 1993 film Fire in the Sky. This is The Abduction of Travis Walton, Part 1. We didn't start the fire. It all began... Sorry. No, that needed to happen. I, I, you know, I was like, I have to get that out now. That's you did it. be in my head. I, it, honestly, when I was writing this, I thought, I hope I, I hope we hear that in keyboards. So maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe add that part right here. All right. <laughs> it all began on a Wednesday, just like today, if you're listening on the day this episode drops. It was Wednesday, November 5th, 1975, near Snowflake, Arizona, a small southwest town in east-central Arizona. A crew of seven loggers had been working the Turkey Springs tree thinning contract in Apache Sitgreaves National Forest. The sun had just set, and the men packed up their gear, threw it into the truck, and piled in their boss's Mike Rogers pickup, an old 1965 International. Wow. Head back head back down to Snowflake. This is like one of those classic, I had to Google what an International was, because I, I don't think Beautiful. we have that car company anymore. Yeah. Um, this is like a beauty when you, truck. Yeah, if you imagine like a classic, beautiful, like baby blue pickup truck, that's what he was. That's what Mike Rogers, the the, the crew boss, was was driving. Yeah. Um, and it was old. You know, it's like ten years old for then. And, and part half the half the part of hearing these guys tell the story is just them talking about how old and rickety this truck was. <laughs> like that's really it's a lumberman's truck. It's yeah. a man's man's truck. <laughs> So, aside from Mike, the other men in the crew were Kenneth Peterson, John Goulet, Dwayne Smith, Alan Dallas, also known as the hothead of the group, Steve Pierce, the youngest guy working there. He was 17. He lied that he was uh, of age to get this job, and he wasn't. That's right. And then finally, a man by the name of Travis Walton, who was age 22. The men had spent the day thinning trees in the forest to encourage growth, part of a contract they'd been working on for weeks. According to the National Park's website, the Apache Sitgreaves, administered as one national forest, encompasses over 2 million acres of magnificent mountain country in east-central Arizona. The region isn't too far south from one of my personal favorite roadside attractions, Meteor Crater Natural Landmark. The location of an extraterrestrial visitation in the form of a meteor crash some 50,000 years ago. If you're ever driving on 40 across Arizona, I highly pull over. Uh, I suggest you pull over and take a look at it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people think of Arizona and they don't think, you know, they just think, you know, long plains but there is this incredible mountain country like you said in the east central arizona and it's no stranger to high strangeness that area in the sitgreaves is also home to the magoyan ridge which is home of the legendary magoyan monster which is a bigfoot like creature uh that likes to tote a wheel wield a club that we covered <laughs> back in bigfoot collectors club episode number 131 with special guest travis McElroy. Now, <clears throat> the job site was roughly 40 minutes from town, and the small logging crew would travel to and from the site. All seven men squeezed together in this kick-ass truck. The three non-smokers up front 
and the four smokers wedged shoulder to shoulder in the back seat. Travis Walton rode shotgun, preferring that crisp mountain air over the dull fog, dull fog of a marble red. You're really slipping into character already. I like it. I uh, know. Uh, just that the thought of that Siggy gets me excited. It does. It does make me think of being a kid riding in the back seat when my dad was driving, and he'd light up a cigarette and like. Yeah. My sister and I both we'd like lean. We would like lean forward because we both really liked the smell of the cigarette. Yeah. Fuck yeah! I love it. Uh, Miss it. It was just after 6 p.m. as Mike's truck bounced down Rim Road when Travis noticed a golden red light shining through the forest trees. At first, Travis thought it was just the sun setting, but he realized, wait a minute, the sun already set back when we were still on the work site. And one by one, the voices in the truck trickled off into silence as the other men noticed a strange light through the trees. Was it headlights from a deer hunter's truck? Forest fire? The men strained to get a clear view between the trees as the road wound their truck closer and closer to the source of the mysterious golden light. After passing a clearing, Travis got a glimpse of an object hanging along the treetops. What the hell was that? It looks like a plane crashed in the trees. The light was spilling through the trees and into the road ahead. Mike's truck rounded the dense forest tree line and reached a clearing where they could all get a good look at the light source. The men began talking over one another in excitement. Son of a bitch! Stop the Look truck. at that thing! Stop my the truck, God. Mike! My, my God, it's a flying saucer! Floating above the forest floor was a brilliant, golden craft shaped like two pie plates inverted and stacked on top of each other with a smaller, bright white dome resting on top. Classic saucer. Classic saucer. A real CS. Travis estimated the object to be about 15 to 20 feet wide and 8 to 10 feet deep. There were silver lines cutting the rim of the craft, giving off the impression of paneling, but no other hatches, antennas, wings, or protrusions were present. The craft hung there silently, motionless, hovering below the tree line, illuminating the clearing with an unearthly yellow glow. The light seemed to give off the luster of metal still hot from the flames of a blacksmith's forge. As terrifying as the sight was, especially considering what would happen next, the men all recall how sleek and beautiful the craft was. It was a truly majestic image to behold. Travis was so excited by the encounter that he hopped out of the truck to get a closer look. As he approached the golden craft, he could hear a high-pitched, pulsing, beeping sound that intermixed with various other tones and vibrations. The vehicle seemed to emit sounds that were beyond the audible spectrum of the human ear. Low notes, high notes that vibrated through Travis's ears and came up through the tires of the truck, vibrating the steering wheel in Mike's ever-tightening grip. We thought you'd like this part, Riley, because they really yeah. get into talking and all the stuff that came up about how there was clearly that this thing was emitting sound beyond the audible spectrum, you know, yeah, and they could so they talked cool. about how they could all feel the notes that they couldn't hear running through their bodies. Yeah. How many wow. times do we hear about like these encounters of high strangeness, whether they're alien abductions or before you see a Bigfoot or whatever? It's like the sound just gets turned down like a volume knob and something replaces it like a high-pitched 
or like a buzzing feeling or just like yeah you know it's like they're they're taking the air out of the fucking room or in this case the forest well and remember when wow. betty and barney hill were escaping the craft they kept hearing like beep 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 and like buzzing yeah. sounds and stuff that felt like it was hitting like pinging off the roof of their car yeah yeah that's um, right now, just like on the Betty, look. Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, no, I was just going to say, like Betty and Barney Hill, that this seems to also to be a real nuts and bolts craft, even though it was so sleek. And, you know, this was like, they really described this thing as being like just just beautiful, beautiful craft. But it's it, it has a physical shape to it. You know, we're not yep. we're not dealing with what appears to be any orbs, any portals, or interdimensional shenanigans. No, this isn't, are, li- this isn't a this isn't a light vehicle. You yeah, know, they're as, seeing as a ma- it clear as day physical craft here. You know, as a matter of fact, Travis was uh, Travis Walton was not too long ago on on the Joe Rogan experience, and he explains that this saucer looked exactly like the sports model described by none other than Bob Lazar in his accounts of seeing the saucers at S4 and the one that the testers model company made a replica for model builders. He said out of all the pictures he's seen in TV and film and, and wherever that was the closest to what that vehicle looked like. Wow. I got to look up this UFO model and put it in the, uh, in the show. Oh yeah. Just look up testers S4 UFO. Didn't um, Walton's, like, dad, speaking of Bob Lazar and uh, working for the government, didn't Walton's dad have a connection to the space program? Yeah, strangely enough, Walton didn't know much about his father growing up, but later on he discovered that his father was an MIT mathematician who worked on the Apollo missions, which is a little strange, you know? I mean, that's a pretty rare job to have uh, that comes with some pretty good security clearances, so... I don't know. Is there a connection there? I'm not I'm sure. I'm looking at I'm looking at this model, and you know what, guys? It's a real CS. It's a CS, <laughs> classic saucer. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Um, and the other thing, Riley, too, that the the way you hear the guys talk about this incident, it almost seems like a holy experience. In uh, a film that we watched, this documentary that you can get on uh, Amazon Prime called Travis. Highly uh, Kenneth, recommend that film. Yeah, great. Yeah. Great movie. Uh, Kenneth, uh, one of the guys, uh, talks about, you know, he's much older now, but he talks about how he thinks this entire encounter was the aliens modeling the myth of the phoenix for them. That Travis was essentially killed and then would later be brought back to life. And it has this, like, very Christian model to the story of death and resurrection, for sure. Fucking myth makers, man. So... Let's go back to the scene. Travis is walking closer to this craft. And remember, it's just resting there in the air. It's not even moving. Travis said it looked dead in the air. And I think that's kind of creepy, just this idea of just this craft not spinning, not swirling, not bobbling. It's like 10, 10, 15 feet off the ground. That's how close it was to these guys. And as he's approaching this thing, all of his buddies are screaming at him, calling him to get back in the truck. But he just feels this compulsion to get a closer look. He didn't want to miss the opportunity to get a look at what was clearly a paranormal encounter. And as he walked up to it, he began to worry 
that it was going to suddenly fly off. He likened it to approaching a wild animal. He thought he might scare it off. <laughs> so he's, great. Yeah, he's literally crouched over, treading softly and sneaking up on a fucking flying saucer. That's you know, he doesn't a want to scare. He doesn't want to scare it away. <laughs> but, but I do Yeah. I do wonder if it was all him. Mm. I wonder if he was being beckoned which is something that always happens in vampire movies you know vampires are always glamoring their victims and enticing their prey with the power of hypnotism Mm -hmm. and i feel like we see that in a lot of ufo abduction cases there's all there always seems to be the experiencer that wants to run up to the object that feels compelled to get close um it's like the little boy in close encounters you know he willingly runs off with the aliens and like i get it obviously doing the show i might be one of them but i wonder if how much travis when he got out of that truck how much he was really in control and intending to do that i mean the question you're asking here are is was there is that an accident that it was Travis you know what I mean right you make an extremely interesting point because while researching this much to my surprise um, come to find out and guess what this was not Travis's first encounter with what we would deem paranormal Travis witnessed multiple unexplainable objects throughout his life in fact even his brother Dennis Walton recalls seeing a tick shaped UFO near the same area approximately a year earlier, begging the question, was there a connection between the Waltons and the supposed extraterrestrial entities? That's cool. I, I had not found that yet, actually. Yeah, it's just, I had, you know, it's, I hadn't found that. It's, That's cool. I, this is always one of the high strangeness points that, that I love, and it always boggles my mind because it's never just the one encounter. Even with Betty and Barney Hill, Betty had those strange prophetic dreams and paranormal encounters. And, uh, you know, Travis recalls in a podcast I listened to an incident when he was a child. He was asleep in the hallway of the then mayor's uh, house at a town in Phoenix. And while asleep on sleep, he got I know, an invite I, to the mayor's house. I don't know what he was doing there. It didn't go into that, but while there was a bunch Wait of people a were there, I'm most interested in why he's sleeping in a sleeping bag in the <laughs> Damn, hallway of the mayor's house. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> while while asleep on his sleeping bag in the hallway during a summer in Phoenix, something he re- recalls something was lifting his feet. He looks up, and there was a little man, pale with white skin, huge eyes, a huge head hairless and wearing a black suit. Travis screams and the creature drops his legs and takes off running. Now Shouting, Travis Bump goes, for me! <laughs> Bump for me! Travis ran, runs after it uh, trying to find where could it have possibly escaped and of course everybody uh, who was also saying I think it was like a summer event, like a camp event they were all like, nah it was just a dream just a dream Travis right Never, now, never sleep at Amira's house. That's the lesson of this, of this story. <laughs> it's a valuable lesson. <laughs> now, as Travis got near, oh, that's so funny. It's Phoenix, Arizona, Phoenix Lights, too. Isn't yeah. that weird? Yeah. Um, with that, that mayor who, uh, yeah, anyway, let's not get off topic. As Travis got nearer to that <laughs> UFO, the eerie vibrational sounds of the craft seemed to intensify. Travis watched as the disc began to tilt and spin crookedly on its axis. Then, suddenly, a bright blue light 
shot out of the bottom of the saucer. The crew in the truck watched in horror as the beam struck Travis with what looked to be an intense electrical force, almost like a grenade going off in the immediate area. Travis blacked out. His body goes limp, and he's just hanging there in the air before being catapulted 10 feet from the disc. His body hits the ground with a hard, limp thud. This is the part that I didn't realize. Like, I always pictured, like, oh, you know, because a famous image from Fire in the Sky is of D.B. Sweeney as Travis Walton, like, hovering mm-hmm. there in the air. And the guy saw that. But in my mind, it's been so long since I've seen the movie, and we're obviously going to have to watch the movie again and discuss it over on the other side. Uh, no question about it. But um, I, it, it's so scary to think that it picked him up, and then it fucking just, like, threw him against the ground yeah and 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 later travis said that this moment felt like he said he immediately blacked out but he he felt like a pop like an electric popping in his chest and head it's it sounds to me like what you might feel like getting struck by lightning felt feels like you know had this like real electric intensity to it Yeah, well, strangely enough, that area in Black Canyon Lake where the abduction took place receives an incredibly high amount of lightning strikes per year, creating this rare mineral known as fulgurite, which is more commonly known as fossilized lightning. Cool. Yes, fulgurites are formed when lightning strikes the ground, fusing and vitrifying mineral grains, creating these silica-like tubes could that have something to do with the ET's interest in this area? I mean, I got to say fossilized lightning is way cooler than gold. We should have like a fossilized lightning standard. You know, well, what you I mean? know what I immediately thought of was fiber optics, right? So it's like fiber optics was the big sort of techno invention that supposedly came out of the Roswell crash, changing our communication systems worldwide. And when I read that these fulgurites sort of form these vitrifying glass tubes, I'm just thinking like, oh, man, I wonder. You just can't help but to think that they're like plopping them into their UFO machinery. Oh, I need a couple spare parts for the old sports model, you know? (laughs) Sure. Why not? I mean, honestly, why not? What do we fucking know about any of this? So thinking they just watched a flying saucer kill their friend. Mike and the rest of the crew freaked out and they sped away. Now, this is a decision that haunt, ends up haunting these guys for the rest of their lives. They're still justifying whether or not they should have left in that moment. But they literally thought this guy uh, was, you know, they, they, they thought, Mike thought he just watched his best friend just get, like, completely killed by a laser beam. They were so terrified at one point, Mike almost crashed the old pickup. And as they drove further and further from the location of the UFO ta- attack, the men start arguing whether or not Travis had his body had been in, intact when he hit the ground or if it had been disintegrated entirely by the beam. And they passed hunters on the road that were going the opposite way. And they considered pulling a Yui and chasing some of them down, hoping that since they were probably armed, they might be able to join them and go back up the hill to save Travis if he were still alive. So they finally pull over. They're they're all trying to figure out what the fuck to do. Kenneth is imploring Mike, you know, turn the truck around. We got to go back for him. And um, one of the things that came up in, in one of the interviews that I saw is like these guys, a lot. some of these guys are like Vietnam vets too. And so there was this idea that, you know, 
some of them described that what happened tonight was scarier than anything that they saw in the war. Fuck yeah. And then, you know, but I think there was this sort of feeling of like, no, we have a man, our man. Man we down, we, we don't leave, leave a man yeah, behind, we, yeah. We don't leave a man behind. Um, so they decide they couldn't leave Travis up there on the ridge, cold and alone. Uh, and besides, if he was dead and they showed up to town without him, that might look really bad. So going back to save Travis was the right thing to do. And it was around this time as they're turning around that I believe it was Steve, the 17-year-old, pointed out to the group to what looked like the golden saucer flying over the ridges, the ridge of the mountain range, and then taking off at an incredible amount of speed. So with no arms, uh, no guns, and no clue as to what they were facing, Mike turned the truck around and all six men went back for Travis. Later, Travis would describe how he felt about being left behind. I didn't fault them. What Mike and the crew did was understandable, and they showed common sense for them to come back that soon unarmed was heroic. And these guys were just as scared of finding Travis's charred body as they were facing the UFO again, you know? Fuck yeah, These guys man. are, yeah, they're just like regular, you know, you watching the documentary, you know, these guys, these guys remind me of my uncle, you know what I mean? They're just like good guys, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and this is something that was really, uh, you know, extraordinary that, that happened to them, you know? Um, I don't know. They're very, they are very relatable. Um, when you see them talk about this stuff, you're like, yeah, I, I believe these guys are believe in what they're talking about. And you really get an impression that they did not want this fucking thing to happen to them. Yeah, dude. Listen, it's like guys like that, hardworking blue collar men, loggers, and even like the criminals and like, uh, Alcatraz Island, because you know, I heard the audio <laughs> audio tour, is like I like the sprinkling of Alcatraz creeping well, its way into the story. They don't falsify shit, right? It's like their word is all that they have, and so they give it. And when they give it, that's the testament of what took place, right? And they're not there to like make shit up or like you know what I mean. You just have the feeling from these guys, especially when they're speaking in that in that movie, Travis, that what they saw and what they experienced is fucking truth I, with a capital I do, T. I do think at least Alan uh, Dennis was a little bit of a shithead because Travis talks about in his book about how he purposely cut trees that might, that would almost fall on Travis when they were out oh, yeah, there. No, they like, didn't, yeah, they so were. They're, that's they're, in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So a couple of them, I mean, like they were, these guys also, as we're going to see, like, Yes, I do think that they were. I, I, I all think their hearts, especially like Mike and John and Ken. I think right. Ken might be one of my favorites. Like their hearts are all and Travis, obviously, and Steve, too. I think they're I'm just excluding Alan. Sorry. Sorry, Alan. Uh, no, but I, I really do think all of them, their hearts are in the right place. But they did have a reputation. I mean, these guys are young. You know, these guys are like young blue collar loggers. They're kind of like fuck ups a little bit. We're, we're going to talk about this a, a little bit later. But well, um, and it's it's important to remember too that yeah they were friends. Not all of them got along famously, like right, Al, Alan right. and Travis. And that's going to be important when those skeptics yeah. try to convince you that nope, they all went in on this together as a hoax. Yep. Like no, yep. no. If you fucking hate Travis, there's no way you're going to fucking hoax that he was abducted by a UFO and go back into town with a fucking missing person. No. I don't think so. No. Back up it's on a dumb, that ridge. Dumb story. <laughs> yeah. 
Back up on the ridge, the truck returned to the scene of the crime, and the men got out of the truck and started looking and shouting for Travis. Travis, however, was nowhere to be seen. And wherever he went, he left no tracks or trace to help find him. It was then that Mike and the others experienced a stark realization that their friend and co-worker, Travis, was really gone. And they'd left him there. Mike dropped to his knees and started sobbing. And after a few torturous minutes, Mike, Ken, John, Dwayne, Alan, and Steve headed back to civilization, wondering just what in the hell they were going to do. A debate began as to whether or not to call the police. I mean, after all, a fucking UFO had just zapped their buddy in the middle of a forest and he was now missing. What cop in their right mind is going to believe that story? Not to mention a few of the men had had run-ins with the law before, including Alan, who just that morning had had an altercation with Travis over a woman. Panic ensued among the men. They agreed they would contact the sheriff's department, but leave out a crucial detail of the missing person's report. You know what that detail was? Yeah, you guessed it. The part about the UFO! Ken got out of the truck, called the sheriff's station, simply stating, One of our crew members is missing. So Deputy Sheriff Chuck Ellison received the call uh, that Ken placed at a phone booth and forwarded the message to Sheriff Gillespie, uh, who must have been like, what the fuck are these guys talking Uh, about? Wednesdays. Yeah, he sent Ellison (laughs) down to the phone booth to talk to the guys. Now, keeping a lid on the UFO proved to be impossible. Ellison listened intently as the men all tried to talk over each other to tell the story. As the tale came tumbling out, the lawmen used an old trick to deduce the truth behind the situation. His nose. He quietly sniffed the men for marijuana and booze. Now, to their credit, Ellison's olfactory senses detected no intoxicants. You know what was- I love is they're all like, okay, we're not going to mention the UFO. As soon as they get them all, a fucking UFO just took <laughs> yeah. our buddy. Lights, beams, straight up into the sky. <laughs> so he was clearly skeptical, but he could see that the men were terrified and amped up. And Travis wasn't with them. And and he was thinking, you know, maybe an argument took place. Maybe these guys got in a fight and they accidentally killed Travis. You know, who knows? The next morning, Sheriff Gillespie launched a 60-person manhunt for Travis up in the location where the men saw the craft. The crew were split into two groups, monitored, and I'm talking about the seven guys, or the six guys, monitored by Deputy Ellison and Deputy Sheriff Ken Copeland. The whole time the deputies were telling their respective groups, you know, if you just tell us where the body is, this will end a lot faster. Hmm. Scouring the area on foot and from the air in helicopter, doubling back and forth in a grid formation a mile or two at a time, the search failed to find any single trace evidence of Travis or his dead body. In fact, the hounds that the law enforcement brought with them on the search picked up Travis's scent in the spot where the truck had stopped on November 5th, and the trail led the dogs to the area where Travis got zapped, and there the trail went cold. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, that that I think is like, there you go, (laughs) you know? Yeah, Yeah, those dogs don't lie, man. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. You know, it was interesting, too. I read somewhere that that there were searchers out there amongst uh, the people looking for Travis, and they had Geiger counters, which is just an odd little fact. 
Uh, Mike recalls encountering these searchers who said they were only uh, finding background radiation. Uh, and when Mike talked to him, he's like, hey, you should run those over over us. Uh, but they did find no sign of radiation, obviously, and maybe because all the men had showered at that point and changed their clothes since the did incident. But I do find it strange are that you obviously sure if you're they... a sheriff, if you're a sheriff's <laughs> office, you don't believe this story for one iota, but yet you're going to bring people out with Geiger counters. Uh, um, it's a little I MIB you... to me, you know? Excuse me, but I think you mean Giger counters. Oh, uh, Giger, 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 Giger counters. Yes, I was yes. hiding in the woods. <laughs> but a strange little point of fact. So Travis was gone. His crew believed him to be dead. And no one had answers. Just a crazy story that was starting to spread around town like a wildfire. Now, Snowflake was a small Mormon town. Everyone knew everyone, and most everyone knew everyone's business. Almost immediately, Mike, Ken, Alan, Dwayne, Steve, and John, guys who self-admittedly self -admittedly looked, quote-unquote, a little rough, all became suspects in a potential murder case. Leading the accusations accusations were Travis's brothers, Dwayne and Don. Don even went back up to the Turkey Springs contract site where they'd been working and began digging through the piles of lumber, looking for Travis's dismembered body parts that may have met the wrong end of a chainsaw, yeah. a logger's attempt at hiding a body. Think how fucking dark that is. Think how dark. Yeah. That's the thing is like this week where Travis isn't around Shit is getting dark in this town. They think that the murders happened. They can't find the body. And you're Travis's brother. And like, I'm going to go find. They hid his body up under these. You know, imagine you're like going under there just hoping to find your brother's like severed leg. Well, and to, to just to speak on that, words like the electric chair were being tossed around. That's how serious this incident yeah. was. Yeah. And again, uh, there was frustratingly, maddingly, no trace of Travis. While none of the loggers were officially under arrest, it was clear to everyone that they were prime suspects. Sheriff Gillespie knew that he had to take a closer look at the crew to see if they were hiding anything. And this was a small town, and resources were limited, especially back in 1975. And towns like Snowflake leaned heavily on Phoenix and Tucson for uh, police resources. So polygraph tests were ordered from Mike, Roger, from Mike Rogers' crew, administered by a man by the name of Cy Gilson. The men did not have to take a lie detector test. They couldn't force him to do it, but they were eager to do so. They wanted any help they could get to make people believe that they were telling the truth. Quick little sidebar here. I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but do you guys know who created the lie detector test? Um, No, I don't. William Moulton yeah. Marston, who also created Wonder Woman. Shut up. Yeah, he was a psychiatrist and a cartoonist, and Wonder Woman had her lasso of truth that when she'd wrap around criminals would make them tell the truth, and then he made the polygraph test. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah, you, isn't that wild? That is, you know, I have that a really book is. on my shelf. It was a New York Times bestselling book called The Secret Life of Plants, where it goes into some detail about, I think, one of the inventors of the the lie detector test and how he uh, strapped him on to his house plants to see if he could detect life and, and consciousness. I wonder if that's the same dude. Could, 
Could be. I, I, I he may have co-created it with other people, but I know that because you know if you invent the lie detector test, you're gonna put that shit on your house plants. Well, the oh, first yeah. thing you do is you put it on your dick. And <laughs> I was then gonna say my balls. You, All right, yeah. boys, we're under the hot Speak knife the truth. now. <laughs> and then you know if you're like a guy who was into like you know because all that early Wonder Woman stuff was like also very bondage heavy. Right. It was like he and his wife did it, and they were like super into that stuff. They were pretty right. kinky. Um, so I'm Question sure 12, put it do on you mind first. me playing with you as much as I do? <laughs> no. Lie. Gotcha. <laughs> Steve Pierce, the youngest member of the crew, was the first to undergo the polygraph examination. Gillespie figured that if anyone was going to break first, it would be the 17-year-old kid. And even though he was scared out of his mind, Steve never wavered from his story, and he passed the lie detector test with flying colors. And he wasn't alone. Mike, Ken, John, and Dwayne's stories were all consistent and all passed a polygraph. The only test that came up inconclusive, not even false, was Alan, the hothead, who got into an argument with Cy, the man conducting the test. He was real pissed about the entire situation. His stress levels were too high to be conclusive, and Alan would years later undergo a second test and pass. But that week, even though Mike's crew passed their polygraph tests, nobody believed their story. They were possibly facing a lifetime in jail, and even the death penalty. They needed a miracle. And five days after Travis disappeared, that miracle 12.05 a.m. November 11th, Travis Walton's sister's phone rang. Her husband, Grant, answered the phone. Uh, hello? Grant? Yes? Yeah, who is this? Grant. It's me. Travis. I need him help. And that is where we will end part one of the abduction of Travis Walton. Right. Wow. Tight part one. Nice. Tight part one, baby. We did it. Still on the rails. Yeah, very much so. (laughs) So what do you what do you think so far, Riley? What's your what are you thinking? I mean, I was like re re watching Fire in the Sky as you guys told this story, which was nice. And they did hit a lot of the things in that about them seeing it and then and and him getting thrown and then taking off and going Mm. back for him and and uh yeah all the characters man man that what a what a cast of characters for this too it's like a perfect you can't write this better yeah really yeah 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 it's like take the worst possible most unbelievable thing and and give it to these guys as the most heightened problem for them to be involved with. <laughs> right yeah exactly. you know? like it's really it's it's quite a story just the whole surrounding thing and yeah the, just the stakes the, of it all dude the stakes the fucking stakes i've heard travis yeah. walton discuss that you know at that time if you had six witnesses to a murder that would be all you would need to give someone the death penalty and these were six witnesses all telling the same exact story and not only that but taking a lie detector test about said story and all yeah. passing that's and just look, a mathematical yeah. uh, the, the odds are incalculable well that they, they actually all beat a lie detector test well like it's actually not it's actually yeah. not incalculable uh somebody calculated oh, okay. it i, I forget the name of the person but it's a lot they, they t- <laughs> no but they 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 basically said because you know there's a lot of polygraph skepti- skepticism and it's not admissible in court 
but they they I think the stat that they gave in in the research that I read was that um for six people, even five people to like pass it at like ninety five percent or above the odds that all of them will do that is like one in like 100 million or something. It's yeah, like really, good. it's, yeah. it's really, it's really tough. Well, it's um, like, you have that, you have like, they're all consistent. They pass the polygraph, the dogs trace the scent to where they said it happened. Mm -hmm. And then the scent just stops. And then as we'll hear, I'm sure Travis comes back and his story backs up what these guys have been saying the whole time. It's like, something happened. Oh my like, God. Whatever you, yeah. yeah. Whatever you want to call it or believe that it is. It's like, this happened. Well, and well I, and, I, yeah. I read and like, now you don't have a murder case, right? Yeah. Because you the guy's yeah. back. He's so back. Yeah. why would they cover up a murder that never fucking happened with this crazy exactly. story? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, man. It just point. it it's such a crazy story, and it's hard not to just take it <laughs> for what it is, man. That a yeah. fucking sports model saucer. Was in that area at that time. CS, yes, a, CS, a real CS, a fucking a real CS. SCS, <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. SMCS. You know, either it was planned or it was accidental, but they got Travis Walton. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're gonna get into what happened to Travis and what happened to Travis and these men after he got back in town next week on Bigfoot Collectors Club. Uh, boys, before we say goodbye, do you have anything you want to plug? Hmm. It's like a game of chicken right there. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. Well, I'll go first. How's that? I got yeah. something to plug. Um, uh, I recently guessed on a couple podcasts. You guys should check out uh, One Million Musicals, which should be out by the time this episode is out, um, where I got to come just do a little scene in a song, join a song. Uh, it's a fun podcast. Also from, uh, I believe, Campfire Media. Uh, and then another um, podcast I did called Pretend Worlds Real People where i talk about acting and that kind of stuff and the business and um speaking oh, of cool. acting yeah. yeah so that was a, it was a really fun chat it's not a chat that i get to have um a lot i love um, talking but, uh, shop yeah yeah i was talking shop and speaking of which uh i announced on my instagram uh last week that i'm opening up to uh and i'm gonna start doing some audition coaching yes i saw that, that. i love yes. that something i've been doing with friends like yes. Bryce over the pandemic i really enjoy it um, and if you're audition, if you're listening, if you have an audition for anything coming up for, for it might be for college auditions, acting school, school play, a anything. show, a school play, a Big play, film. and you need, if you need some help, I can help you. I'm available nationwide. Thanks to zoom. So just reach out to me at book it with Mike at gmail.com and we'll work something out. However, I'm just going to say no pervs. Okay. I got a couple pervs hitting me up. <laughs> Stop it. You per you you perv Knock on me. Off. Knock you it perv, off, you pervs. <laughs> you perv on me. You are banished. You are blocked, and you are banished. Damn. So serious inquiries only. Okay? Hey, I can, sorry, bro. Yeah, damn. Look, yeah. I can vouch one hundred percent for Mike. I've I've gone over lots of my auditions with him, and he's just he fucking has such a keen eye uh, for what's taking place in a scene, how to approach it, and he's just wonderful at it. So okay. highly recommend if you're into that. Mm -hmm. I can also second that I've somewhat bumble my way through commercial <laughs> acting auditions and really truly have no idea what I'm doing. And Michael has helped me to uh, not not know what I'm doing and sort of actually know what yeah, I'm doing. You're, so. By the way, you're a natural. Come on. You're a natural. Oh, Everybody knows well, but the camera loves you, Riley. 
no, that's well, there, well, there you seriously, go. Seriously, I mean, yeah, it's uh, I, I really, I think you're, you have a real knack yeah. for teaching, and oh, well, thank you. It's a really nerve wracking process auditioning, and it's nice to just talk to someone who's landed a bunch of roles and knows what they're doing. Yeah. So, so that's yeah, it, man. That's we plug you. All right. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. All right. Great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, and thank you for the kind words. All right, everybody. We'll be back next week with Travis Walton Part Two. Until then, good night and go get regressed. Travis, Trav, you got to come back. Travis, come on, Big Trav. G. Trav. Come on, hey, Big T. You scared me two times. <laughs> you got us good. Damn, he ain't Look nowhere man. to be seen. That's a CS if I ever saw one. Hey, what's going on, bro? Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible, and if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday.